You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome to our show Wanda Bertram, who is a spokesperson for the East Hampton-based Prison Policy Initiative, a really important institution when it comes to criminal justice policy here in the United States. So important to us that, of course, PPI is here in our area. We especially are pleased to have Wanda Bertram with us today because on January 24th, PPI, the Prison Policy Initiative, issued a really significant, interesting report with all sorts of implications for policy uh, and budgets across the United States. Wanda Bertram, tell us the title of the report. Welcome to the show, by the way. Thank you so much for being with us. But tell us the the, the title of this report and what its essence is. Sure, yeah, um, and it's good to be here. And thanks to your listeners for switching so hard um, after talking about movies. Um, our, our briefing is called Zombie Politics, The Return of Failed Criminal Legal System Policies in 2023 and How to Fight Back. Um, and the gist of it is, as your listeners probably know, the last 10, 15 years have seen a fair amount of criminal justice reform at the state and the federal level. Um, and Massachusetts has seen plenty of that. Um, but a lot of that now risks being undone by these tough-on-crime laws that are coming back in the state legislatures. And what's even more disturbing than that is that a lot of these new kind of uh, tough, uh, harsh punishments that are being passed uh, feel like copies or throwbacks to stuff that was passed in the 80s and 90s, which is a very uh, kind of mindset or policy era that we've been trying to get away from with all the reform of the last, you know, the last couple of decades. Um, so that's what this that's what this briefing's about. It's about all of the laws that we've been seeing passed uh, in the last year or so um, that have been taking us backward. So, Wanda Bertram, the result of those new laws is getting tough on crime again, reinventing and bringing back all of the failed policies that, well, frankly, that President uh, Bill Clinton promulgated in significant measure, but bringing them all back, they failed, they filled up the prisons, they were racist, they destroyed communities. Let's do it again. That exactly. said, um, that said, exactly. I, I really want to get to this question with you, if I might, just for one second. Um, prison populations are rising dramatically across the country, but in Massachusetts, the number of people in prison is actually going down, relatively speaking. Can you explain that to us? Sure. I mean, uh, prison populations, for one thing, I'll, I'll start out big picture and say the number of people in prison, I think people too often think that it is all controlled by the federal government. It's not. Um, the vast majority of people in prison are there, uh, they're in state prison, right? And so states have the power to, to kind of shift the, uh, the trend of the prison population, whichever way they choose. In Massachusetts, thankfully, there's been a consistent trend of reform over the last decade or so, um, and and you know uh, with with uh, implications now that uh, the you know, men's prison in Concord is going to be closing um, because the the prison population there is so much lower than it had been, and that's good. Um, and it's you know it's especially it's especially good news given that just like you just said. Um, prison populations across the country in general are increasing. Um, now, I want to be clear, like, uh, you know, a, a lot of that increase, in fact, I think most of that increase nationally is because we've just come out of, of a two or three year period 
where we had lower incarceration rates because uh, during COVID-19, the criminal justice system just kind of ground to a halt. It was just really difficult uh, for the system, for courts um, to, to do business as usual, for you know, prosecutors to bring charges as usual because of all the, the restrictions associated with COVID. So really what's happening right now, I think, is that backlogs of, of uh, court cases are being eased. And so in a lot of places, you know, people are being um, processed through the system and the system is beginning to kind of wake up again. Uh, but but that's, that's what I mean when I say it's especially good news that Massachusetts is, is still, as of 2022, um, which is the last data that we have, um, seeing lower prison populations. Do you expect prison populations or did you expect prison populations to go up because well, there just were not as many courts functioning in jail yeah. during COVID as there were before and afterwards. Is this to be expected, in other words? Unfortunately, yes. Um, and I say unfortunately because, you know, during the pandemic, when we saw, for instance, jails reducing their populations by um, as much as, you know, 30, 40 percent, um, which, by the way, if I can just take an aside, still did not bring jail populations down anywhere near to what other countries had. Um, uh, and, and meanwhile, state prisons lowered their populations by 10, 15 percent. So, so while that was happening, we were, you know, we were hopeful that maybe some of that, that decrease during COVID could translate into meaningful, long-lasting policy, right? That the, that the populations would stay low. Um, but uh, we, did always, we did always expect that, that after COVID-19, the, the systems would wake up again and, um, you know, police would resume uh, incarcerating people uh, for, you know, the same, uh, the same spread of offenses that they always have. Um, and so unfortunately, yeah, this is, this is kind of par for the course. So is par for the course a, well, I'd like to know what that means in terms of, uh, numbers of people's going, going to prison. And I would in particular like to know whether that is a revisiting of the war on drugs and whether the increase in prison populations across the country is part of a resurgence of, well, the prevalence of drugs and the state's response to drugs. Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. And this is where this is this is getting to why we published this this new report, Zombie Laws. Um, and uh, and I'll get to what we called it Zombie Laws in a second. Um, but the the um, the increase in prison populations over the last couple years is you know, like I said, largely due to kind of systemic things related to COVID, but it's also due to states uh, uh, experiencing a resurgence of this tough on crime thinking and passing some laws that, that really would be more at home in 1993 than in 2023. Um, and some of those laws definitely have to do with drugs. Uh, as, as, you, as you know, um, you know there's, there is uh, uh, an increasingly dangerous drug supply in the U.S. right now. Um, there's, you know, a, a lot of people are suffering from um, drugs that are laced with fentanyl. It's, it's becoming a public health, a, you know, major, major public health issue. Um, and uh, there are a lot of ways that states could respond to this. Unfortunately, the way that a lot of states are choosing to respond is by passing mandatory minimums. So Alabama last year created a mandatory minimum for possession of fentanyl. Wisconsin uh, uh, increased penalties to, uh, to 60 years. Um, for certain fentanyl-related, uh, drug-related offenses, 
um, Iowa increased penalties. Um, I know that there's a number of other states that are uh, um, Idaho, West Virginia. I've talked to reporters in those states, uh, and they talk about um, harsh fentanyl-related bills that are going around. And and what's what these bills are proposing is that is that you know you can um, we can punish our way out of this crisis uh, of fentanyl and the drug supply, uh, and we can stop, you know, we can, we can deter this from happening, you know, simply by increasing prison terms. And they've, you know, th- they're, they're proposing this, even though this is exactly what we did um, during the, you know, during the, the, the crack cocaine era, right? This is exactly what we've done um, for several decades, you know, during the war on drugs. We've just punished and punished and tried to punish our way out of it. And, and they're proposing it over the cries of, uh, and, and demands of advocates who are saying, no, what we need is harm reduction. We need needle exchanges. We need medication-assisted opioid treatment. Um, we need um, some, you know, we need we need at least some measure of legalization so that people can, um, you know, people are not uh, afraid of being punished and can come forward and and can you know can can live their lives and also can recover on their own terms. And that's not, you know, legislators are really. Um, I think they're very wary uh, of, of, you know, looking like they're soft on, you know, on anything related to, to drug crime. And so, unfortunately, you know, we're seeing these laws that are taking us back to the 90s. But, Wanda Bertram, the other, the other part of it that makes it so insane for me is that, contrary to popular belief, according to the FBI, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, um, by, every, by every measure— Violent crime is down by about 10% over the last, I think, 10 years in the United States. And property crime is down as well by, I think, it's 8% over the last 10 years. And yet we're, this incarceration zeal continues. What is it about these legislators that continue to think that somehow they can punish their way out of crime when crime is going down for other reasons? Yeah, I, no, I think that's I think that's an excellent point, and you know, and I want to say, you know, crime rates are crime rates are complicated, right? It's it's hard to tell, you know, crime rates will fluctuate during a given year. They, you know, violent crime rates uh, went up in many places in 2020. Uh, violent crime rates took a dive last year. Um, I think the murder rate, especially, took a big dive last year. Overall, though, we're at a 60-year low for all for all indicators of crime. Um, and you know, nevertheless, legislators are choosing to to pursue these policies. Um, one of the things I think is uh, personally, I think is interesting, is that you're seeing a lot of, uh, and this is another kind of '90s throwback. You're seeing a lot of states considering laws that would uh, require people to serve a, a given portion of their sentence, typically 80% or more, before they're even considered for early release. Um, and this is something you know, your listeners who are um, you know, online in the 90s or in the 80s will remember this thing called truth and sentencing. And this was a, a trend in criminal justice policy uh, that said, you know, uh, we, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's insulting to victims that someone could be sentenced to 40, 50 years behind bars and yet come up for parole in 20 years, right? So we're going to, we're, we're going to make it so that they have to serve, you know, 35 of those 40 years um, before, they can, before they can go up for parole. What happened, interestingly, when those laws were passed in the 90s, and they passed in many, many states, um, effectively eliminating parole, uh, was that people who were in prison, people who were going to prison, saw their, their effective prison terms as much as double overnight. Um, you know, there were you know, people who were being 
excuse me, one second. Um, I just can't stop getting these spam calls. But there were people who were being sentenced to prison, um, and and you know, as if they were, and judges were sentencing them as if you know parole was still um, a reasonable option for them. But it wasn't, and so they were going. You know, they were going down for you know they were going down for decades, whereas you know their peers who had committed similar crimes had been were you know were up for parole in you know half that time. So this is a really dangerous policy trend, and I bring it up because lawmakers are saying this is what's necessary to reduce crime and reduce recidivism is to lock people up for um, you know for 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 decades at a time. And I think for one thing. Um, if we can't come up with a better way of reducing crime than, than that, then I think we've, we've really failed, um, particularly given that we have a country where we're, you know, there are such massive gaps in social services and health care. But, um, but also, like you're saying, crime is at a 60-year low. Um, and this is you know, the, the fact that lawmakers are resorting to proposing these tough-on-crime laws, you know, it, to me, suggests that they just don't have anything better to talk about, and they're desperate for some kind of um, something to campaign on. That is so true. And I just want to point out, these are not uh, prison policy initiative statistics. This is coming from the FBI and the Bureau of Justice Statistics. This is, uh, these, and when we talk about violent crime, we're talking about homicide, murder and non-negligent manslaughter and rape and robbery and aggravated assault, along with the property crime categories of burglary, larceny, Motor vehicle theft. We are talking to Wanda Bertram. We will be right back. My bills are all due, and the babies need shoes, but I'm busted. Cotton is down to a quarter a pound, and I'm busted. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Wanda Bertram, who is a spokesperson for the East Hampton-based Prison Policy Initiative, the uh, Law Reform Institute in East Hampton that is so important in the national discussion of crime and prison and policy. I want to know from you, Wanda Bertram, uh, whether or not the explanation for state legislatures across the country passing and governors signing bills that are doomed to failure, that will increase prison populations, that will put people in prison for a long time who don't need to be there for a long time, who may not need to be there at all. We are repeating the failed policies of the 1990s over again at great expense with horrible results and consequences for communities across the country, all in the face of a falling crime rate. Crime is going down, and yet more people are going to prison. It makes no sense. And I'm wondering whether it is a policy based on misperception and politics that is driving us to this really rather insane result, and whether or not you can comment on that and help us understand this better. Sure. I mean, I think that the I think that when when these you know when lawmakers push through these tough on crime policies. 
um, they're, they're really capitalizing on um, they're capitalizing on a misperception of um, of uh, that, that a lot of people have of uh, you know of crime rates. And I don't you know I, I'm I don't want to say that people who are in communities and they're experiencing crimes, crimes happening to them are are somehow diluted. Of course, that's you know it, it's real, right? Uh, but relative to you know, on on a on a social level right relative to previous years um what we are seeing overall is that crime is going down and that's significant because uh the last 10 years 10 15 years have been an era of criminal justice reform right criminal justice reform has not caused crime to go up that's the major that's that's kind of the major data point or or, or trend um that, that i think a lot of lawmakers would like you to not understand um, is that uh, having a having a prison population that's the largest in the world and having a having an incarceration rate that's unparalleled among you know other democracies um, and uh, is I I think um, you know something that is is uh, that's not going to that, that you know we have not found that that solves crime right it's it's actually statistically showing that it's, it doesn't um, but. Unfortunately, lawmakers really just don't have any other ideas, right? They they see that there, you know, they they see that there are um, that there are issues in, in in communities that they serve, like fentanyl being in the drug supply, or like shoplifting, or you know, people who are struggling with mental illness. And I I think that they understand that the the real solutions to those problems are um, they're complicated. They're, um, well, maybe they're not even that complicated, but they are difficult and they cost a lot of money. And rather than pass those, they're just going to pass more mandatory minimums and harsh policies because it makes them look like they're getting something done. Um, the, the irony uh, as well is that, you know, even for people who are um, you know, victims of crime, we know because of this wonderful survey that the Alliance for Safety and Justice did um, in 2022 that crime survivors do not want more incarceration. Um, they prefer other mo- uh, methods of accountability and crime prevention. And we're going to have to leave it there. Wanda Bertram is a spokesperson for the East Hampton-based Prison Policy Initiative. We thank you so much for your time and expertise and for this really important report. Yeah, thank you so much. And if you want to know more, you can check that out on our website.